0: To some of us, prayer may seem like an antiquated idea. We don't know how it's supposed to work or if God can even hear us. But the more we pray, the more we'll learn that He is listening. And though it may not be in the way we expect, He will come through for us. That's why we should always pray until something happens. Well, in our word, pray until something happens, we're at the you, we're at until. And if you think about the word until, you probably kind of already have a sense that we're going to be talking about praying while you're waiting, right? Patient prayer. Because if you've ever prayed for something that was important to you, you know that often prayer comes first and then comes a season of waiting. This is hard for me, by the way because I'm not good at waiting. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm about as bad at waiting as you can possibly be. I truly am uh, uh, legitimately, testably, off-the-charts ADHD, and if you make me wait for something, my knee bounces constantly, and I sit there, and I'm, well, I can show you even better than that, because just so you know, I'm, uh, you know that my primary interest, my primary passion in life is ministry, but I do have a secondary passion, and that's brain science and psychology. And so I thought, how cool, would it be if I could have brain scans made of when I'm not having to wait for something and then when I am having to wait for something so that then I could show you those scans and I could show you the difference between them. So you can see there really is a difference in the brain from when we're waiting and when we're not. So I'm gonna do that, no stress. I know this is a little bit you know, science alert kind of stuff, but I'll walk you through it, it's no big deal. So this first scan that I brought is of me when I'm not having to wait for anything. Ready, so this is the first scan. And as you can see, pretty laid back, and also uh, not much going on here, right? 80% of the time up there in my head, not much going on. My wife can attest to this. This is just very, you know, laid back. Nothing I had. This is me when I'm having to wait for something, <laughs> right? It becomes explosive, and I really do get very, very tightly wound. So, you know, this would be, you know, me on Space Mountain. This is me in the three-hour line for Space Mountain. Uh, this is at the closing table for the house. This is escrow. Um, This is when I finally do get to talk to somebody at the cable company about our bill. This is while I'm listening to 45 minutes of Grammy award-winning production music while I'm waiting for somebody to answer the phone so I can talk to them about my bill, right? Um, Or or my favorite. This is when I send a text to somebody that I know is kind of a slow texter. And this is when I get the little three dots back for like five minutes (laughs) and I'm wondering, (laughs) what is this person texting back? I'm not very good at waiting. And it turns out that I'm not alone in this. I felt, I felt kind of vindicated when I found out that sort of all of us are this way. I, I saw a, a recent thing that was done by Timex where they tried to figure out how long will Americans wait for different things. So it turns out that as a group, we will wait 13 seconds before we honk at the car in front of us that stopped at a green light. You, you know who you are. Um, 26 seconds before we shush people who are talking in a movie theater. 26 seconds before we take the seat of someone who's walked away. 45 seconds before we ask someone who's talking too loud on a cell phone to keep it down. 13 minutes is how long we'll wait for a table at a restaurant. 20 minutes for a blind date to show up before we leave. I was a little more desperate than that. I would have waited longer. (laughs) True story. Um, And... (laughs) And, and 20 minutes for the last person to show up for Thanksgiving dinner before we dig in, so I guess that means you better be on time, you know. But to a certain extent, I think we're all bad waiters. And, and I think we become a little obsessed with what we do while we wait. Have you noticed that? Especially, I think, in our culture. We have to do something while we wait. And that sort of poses the question, do we ever really wait? Because if we're doing something while we wait, then we're not really waiting. I was at the TAG office the other day, which is, you know, well, James says the testing of our faith uh, brings about patience. So I guess there was something good about being at the TAG office. So I'm sitting there for the five, six, seven hours it takes to, you know, get to the front of the line and do what you need to do. And I've, you know, I've got my smartphone out because after all that's, that's the way things are these days. And I'm looking at the people sitting around me who also all have their smartphones out and I began to get angry at myself. And here's what I was angry about. I was angry because everybody around me remembered to bring their headphones. And I didn't. And they're all streaming media, you know, they're watching their favorite TV shows and all that kind of thing. And I can't, I was really upset about this. And and, and I was, you know, after the fact, I kind of thinking about the fact that here I am holding this powerful personal computer in my hand. Right. The computers that in the 60s filled entire buildings do not have the processing power as this computer that's in my hand. I can do all kinds of stuff with it, but I'm mad because I don't have my headphones so I can't stream my favorite videos and listen to those while I'm waiting to get to the front of the line. I have to do something while I wait. And not only do I have to do something, I have to do what I want while I wait. And it was as though God asked me at some point, Jonathan, if you're always doing something when you're waiting do you ever really wait? And then it got kind of deep because obviously there are these things that we wait on that are kind of annoying. Like we do wait to get to the front of a line or we wait for our coworker to finish a project or we wait for our kids to get something done or we're waiting for our spouse on something or we're waiting for some sort of financial, you know, thing. There's a check that's coming in and we're waiting for that. All those sorts of things are annoying, but let me ask you something a little bit deeper. What do you do? when you're waiting on God. I mean, you knew we had to go here, right? Push, pray until something happens. You knew we were at some point going to have to go to the truth that there will be lots of times when you pray and then you're going to have to wait on God. What do you do while you're waiting on God? Well, that was kind of what I started looking at when I was getting ready for this message. And and beyond that, this is, this is the one talk I'll be doing in the Push series. And I I knew going into this that I needed to learn some stuff, because prayer is difficult for me. And, and I think maybe it's difficult for me because I'm a concrete, person. I'm a concrete thinker. So talking to somebody who's there with me in the room, who's visible and who will talk back to me audibly, I got no problem with. I'm an extrovert when it comes to that. I'll talk to anybody about anything. But prayer is different. That other person is not visibly in front of me and I can't hear him audibly speak back to me. So I'm sort of a spiritual introvert. I'm a little bit trying to figure out, well, how do I have this conversation with somebody who isn't there in the same way that other people are there in front of me? It's different. There's obviously nothing nothing bad about prayer and everything wonderful about it. It's not that I have anything that, that makes me feel like, oh, I don't like to pray. It's wanting to know how do I do this and how do I do it well? How do I really tap into a powerful prayer life? Because I believe that prayer works. And so I asked God at the beginning of this week, I don't just want to give a good talk about prayer, I want to learn something about prayer, I want you to show me something. And so God really did some work in my heart this week, and maybe the first thing that happened was God started having me think about the categories of prayers that I pray. And I came up with three categories of prayer. I'm interested to see whether or not this is your experience. It may not fit perfectly for you, but I I would like you to try it on for size and see whether this matches what your experience has been. I want to show you the first two categories really quickly of of prayer that I started to think through. The first one is ritual prayer. Ritual prayer is prayer that we pray because that's how we do it, right? And ritual prayer has a certain format and a certain purpose and it's done in a certain way. And a lot of times even a certain script Right? Some, of, some of you grew up in liturgical uh, religions where there was a certain prayer that you prayed for a certain time or a certain reason and had a certain way that needed to be done. In my family, we pray before meals, right? And there's nothing at all wrong with that. As a matter of fact, Jesus prayed before a meal. We're really following Jesus' example. Um, and yet that is kind of a ritual prayer. It has a certain function and a certain trigger. It happens at a certain time. Well, that's ritual prayer. Now, now there's another kind of prayer and, and that we wanna talk about and that's rescue prayer. Don't put your hand up, but think about this. How many of us have prayed rescue prayers at some point Right, where I'm in trouble or I'm desperate, I need something that I don't have the capacity to do for myself, and so we pray out to God. But the truth is, if we were really honest with ourselves, these are sort of like long shot prayers. We're praying for a miracle because we know that we can't take care of the problem and nobody around us can take care of the problem right? Because why? If I could take care of it, I would have already done it. And if somebody else in my sphere of friends, uh, coworkers, people in my sphere of influence, if somebody else could have taken care of it, I would have gone to them first. But I know that I can't take care of it. Nobody else in my sphere of influence can take care of it. So I might as well float this up to God and see what happens. Right? It is a long shot. And the truth is a lot of times when we pray rescue prayers, we're not exactly expecting God to really do what we're praying for. We know we're praying for a miracle, but it's kind of like the last thing on our checklist. After we've done everything else that possibly might need to be done to fix the problem, the very last thing is, hey, pray about it and see what happens. As a matter of fact, we kind of have a, an example of this in pop, popular culture. My, my dad is a big fan of the Dallas Cowboys. When I was growing up, um, he and my brother Jared were very, very much into the Cowboys. And, you know, sometimes people ask me, what about you, Jonathan? What's your favorite NFL team? And I feel so bad to disappoint them. I have to let them down gently and let them know that whatever the genetic football heritage is, um, whatever the spiritual gifting of the NFL is, I didn't get that. It, it, didn't, it didn't somehow get transmitted through the family to me directly, so I never did really get into this. But I definitely sort of just, by osmosis, got some of the cowboy stuff in because it was just always around when I was growing up. And one of my dad's favorite moments in cowboy history, in Cowboys history and this is going a long ways back, uh, was a game where, and this will tell you, those of you who are Cowboys fans, this will tell you how far back we're going. It was a game where Roger Staubach and Drew Pearson were playing and it was a playoffs game. The Cowboys were playing against the Vikings, and they, the Cowboys were down four points, and it was the end of the game. They only had a few seconds left. There was really no possibility for the Cowboys to pull this one out. And uh, so, um, but Roger Staubach decided to send Drew Pearson way deep into the end zone and just go for it. Just try to throw the ball to the guy and hope something would work, right? And so they interviewed him about the pass after the game was over, and he said, I just threw the ball as far as I could and yelled, Hail Mary, right? So if you know the story, Drew Pearson catches the pass and scores a touchdown, and the Cowboys keep moving on, right? It was an impossible, it was an impossible moment for them, but somehow they pulled it out. So now, in football, when a quarterback throws a long bomb pass from across the field toward the end zone, we call it what? We call it a Hail Mary, right? You thank Roger Staubach for that. But that is an example of what we're talking about. It is a rescue prayer. It's a long shot. I really don't necessarily expect that this is going to happen, but I'm going to throw it up there to God and see what happens, right? Now, what was difficult for me when I was starting to prepare for this week's talk was, it wasn't that God was telling me, Jonathan, all your prayers fit into one of those two boxes, either ritual prayer or rescue prayer. But I really did get the sense that far too many of my prayers fall into one of those two categories. That far too much of the time, I'm either praying a certain prayer because that's how we do it, or because I'm in trouble and I need help and this is my last prayer resort. Now I knew there's another kind of prayer because I've experienced it and it's part of my life, but I've, I really felt like God wanted me to work on this and ratchet it up and understand it better. And so that was what my goal was this week, is to understand what is the other kind of prayer and then what is it that we need to know about it and then how can we really leverage this in our lives as God followers. So I just want to share with you what God has has shown me uh, in, in this week as I've been going through it. And One of the things that helped me process this was I began to think about Monday mornings for me and and my wife, Wendy. Um, uh, my wife and I both work here at New Spring, and the New Spring uh, work week is Tuesday through Sunday. Monday is our day off. And uh, we are, both of our girls go to a wonderful Christian school here in town. And so on Monday mornings, we will drop the girls off at school, and then we'll go have a quick bite of breakfast, and then we'll go to the mall, and we'll walk around the mall for the hour, the hour and a half before the store is open. And we do this for a couple reasons. One is it helps us feel young, because we are the youngest people walking around the mall at 9 o'clock on a Monday morning. <laughs> but also it's a time for us to connect. It's a time for us to engage and almost without fail, as we will walk in the mall, um, either I'll reach out to Wendy or Wendy will reach out to me and we'll hold hands for a little while. And as we start walking through the mall, we'll talk. Do you have any idea what we talk about? We talk about everything. Anything, everything, whatever. It's random. Just whatever happens to be on our minds that day. We'll talk about something that has to do with the girls or something has to do with the girls' school or something maybe that has to do with work or a project that we're working on that we're excited about. We may just be talking about some difficulties that one of us has had recently or, you know, it could be anything. If you catch us on an average Monday, there's no telling what we would be talking about. But those times are powerful for us as a couple and very, very helpful because it is in those moments that our lives intersect because so much is happening the rest of the week. And we're so busy most of the time that it is in those moments where our focus is really on each other and we really connect. We grieve those mornings when we don't have them, right? On a Monday morning where one of us has an appointment or something that we have to do and we miss our time to go walk around the mall, you know, and talk to each other, we really kind of are sad about it. We missed our Monday morning. So it dawned on me that what is powerful about those moments for me and Wendy is those are reaching moments. I'm reaching out to Wendy and Wendy's reaching out to me and it's intentional and we're connecting and it's powerful and it made me think, okay, so maybe there's ritual prayer that's prayer that's just because this is how we do it and there's rescue prayer because we're in trouble and we need help. Maybe there's a third kind of prayer that is reaching prayer that's just because I wanna connect with God. I'm just really reaching out to God and saying, God, I wanna talk to you about whatever just stuff and talk to you about stuff that's going on in my life stuff that's going on in my world and talk to you about what's happening at work I want to talk to you about what's happening in the family I want to just just talk to you but that would be the third kind of prayer but this again was the challenge that I feel like God issued to me this week is that so much of my prayer is ritual prayer rescue prayer and I had to really ask myself how much of my prayer is really reaching prayer now This was a blessing and a curse because on the one side, I had to come to terms with the fact that I needed to work on this in my life. So that was difficult because sometimes when we have to face something about ourselves that needs improvement, it's not easy. But on the other side, it was a blessing because it helped me understand some of the things that the Bible says that we're supposed to do as God followers that before I wasn't very clear on how we were supposed to do it. For instance, let me take you to a verse in 1 Thessalonians where the Apostle Paul says, never stop praying. Never stop praying. Well, that's a hard concept if normally prayer for you is either ritual prayer or rescue prayer because ritual prayer has a certain format. It takes a certain, it's done in a certain way, sometimes even with certain words. If you've got to do that without stopping, it begins to look like spiritual OCD. Right. I'm doing this over and 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 over over again. Right. And it doesn't work. There's no way you can do that without stopping. Or if it's just rescue prayer. Right. Then how do you keep praying when you don't have a long shot to bet on? How do you keep praying when you don't have a crisis? And a lot of us, this is the frustrating thing. We want to pray without stopping, but we forget to pray without stopping because we don't have a crisis on our hands. It begins to make sense. That maybe what God is talking about when the Bible says we're to pray without stopping or to pray without ceasing or never stop praying is that we're to never stop reaching out to God. That we're never to stop engaging with God and have our life intersect with him. Well, that helps. And by the way, let me just give you a little bit of background for this verse. The, The church at Thessalonica that Paul is writing to is a young church. And, and by the way, the book of First Thessalonians, if it, if it wasn't the first book written in the New Testament, it was probably the second, it, it's very soon after Jesus uh, rose from the grave, about 18 years afterward. So I want you to imagine you're at this church in Thessalonica, right? And you just found out about the true God. This guy named Paul comes. He's your new pastor. He's got all these wonderful answers. And you're asking questions about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow God. And then all of a sudden, some of the people in your town who don't like the idea of Jesus and don't like the idea of Christianity, they run Paul out of town and now you've lost your pastor. You don't have the New Testament. You're just hanging on by a thread. You want to follow God, but there's so much you don't know and you're just waiting. You're waiting to hear something from your pastor and he sends a letter and this is what your pastor says to you. You're in the middle of a holding pattern. You're in the middle of waiting and your pastor says to you, never stop praying. So what do you do when you're waiting on God? Well, the Bible says that when we're waiting on God, we should never stop reaching out to God. Okay, well, about what? What should we talk to God about? Look at this in the book of Philippians. Paul said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? About everything, right? And specifically, everything you would be tempted to worry about, which for me is, you know, everything. He says, instead, pray about everything, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Right now, check this out. He says, then. So if you're doing that, if you're reaching out to him while you're waiting, if you're reaching out to him about things that you would normally worry about. He says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Okay, now this is really cool. So in the King James Version, which is what I've memorized a lot of scripture from when I was a kid, this verse talks about, um, and and this isn't the only place, where we see the the Bible talking about peace that passeth understanding, right? God gives us the peace that passeth understanding. And I always thought when I was growing up, this meant that this is peace that gives you understanding. It's just like at Thanksgiving dinner when somebody passeth the potatoes, right? Right. If they passeth the potatoes to you, now you have potatoes. So if God's peace passeth understanding, now I have understanding. But that's not what this word means. If we look in the original language and then compare it to our idea of passing, it has a lot more to do with what we would think about when we're talking about passing somebody on the road. It means to overtake. It means to get there first. Well, now that's really cool because the Bible says when we reach out to God about everything and we're connecting with him and our life is intersecting with him and we're just talking about, you know, whatever is going on in our world. He said that God's peace will get there before understanding. And see, for me, I'm you know, being a pastoral life coach and I work with people all the time, especially I work with, with distressed married couples, for me, understanding is the pinnacle. That's what we got to figure out how to do. We got to help two people understand each other. We got to understand the dynamic of the situation. If you can understand, then that is, that's the best thing that could happen. That's the pinnacle. But the Apostle Paul says, no, Jonathan, you're wrong, because God's peace will get there before understanding. And see, I always felt like if you understand, then you will have peace but God is smart enough to teach us that there are going to be moments when we can't understand and that we're going to still need peace even in the middle of a time when we can't make sense of everything that's going on. And so Paul is saying, when we're reaching out to God about everything all the time, then God's peace will get there first and we'll have peace even before we can actually make sense of what's going on. Well, that's very cool, right? So here's what we're talking about here. The idea that we've talked about, you know, there's three kinds of prayer and we want to really get into this reaching prayer thing, but there's a little bit of a, a hiccup here because if you're like me and you're fiercely practical, I'm very pragmatic, I wanna know the practical answer to this, then you're probably thinking, okay, so if I'm reaching out to God and if I'm connecting with him, then I could have peace about a situation, that's nice, but also, what about my situation? What about what I'm waiting on? What about what I'm dealing with? What's gonna happen there, right? And how does prayer connect with that? And that's a good question. And for that, we're going to look at what Jesus taught on that subject. And by the way, I was a little bit stressed out about this going, in, going into this talk uh, because I knew that given this topic, I was going to need to go to Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 18. And I was going to have to talk about what Jesus said on this, t- on this subject. But it was hard for me because in years past, I've really struggled to understand. What Jesus was trying to say in these passages. Um, so here's what's so cool. In this week, while I really wrestled with trying to understand what's going on in, in, in these passages, God really helped me sort of frame up in my mind what it was that, that this is trying to communicate. And I really hope it'll be helpful for you too. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 11. And Jesus is talking to his disciples about prayer. Um, and it says he was teaching more about prayer. And he used this story Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. Uh, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, something everybody here has done at some point in their life, right? Um, Just seeing if I still had you with me. Um, And you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. Uh, and suppose, no, no, by the way, this would have happened in Bible times. We, we don't have a lot of reference for this because after all, we have 24-hour Dylans. But in the Bible, though, it wouldn't have been uncommon for, you know, somebody has some late travelers coming in and they don't have, you know, something to feed them. And so they might go ask a neighbor for some food. So this is what's happened. But the neighbor calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But Jesus says this, he says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Right. He's saying eventually that neighbor is going to come to the door and go, yes, please take the bread, take whatever's in my kitchen, take the sofa. I don't care. Just take it and get out of here. I got to get to bed. I have to work in the morning. You know, and so I mean, it makes sense that Jesus is saying that we need to be persistent. He says, "So this is what I'm telling you: keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for; keep on seeking, and you will find; keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you." For everyone who asks, receives; everyone who seeks, finds; and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Right? So Jesus is saying we need to be persistent, and he's using this story as a comparison. Only one problem for me. I always wondered why is God comparing himself to a mean neighbor? Fair? I mean, I was really, you know, even in college, I'm looking at this this study, the this story early in my Bible college, and I was scratching my head. As you can tell, I scratched too hard, I was pulling out some hair and lost some stuff up there, right? What's up with this story? I don't get it. Why is God comparing himself to a bad neighbor? And then it even gets more complicated because in Luke 18, he tells another story and it sounds kind of similar. Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up, which we've been talking about, correct? And he says, there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. A real nice guy, right? That's the biblical picture of a narcissist. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. So he's self-aware. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Now get this. Jesus said, I want you to learn a lesson from this crooked judge. What's the lesson he wants us to learn? Even he rendered a just decision in the end, So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them and quickly. But when the son... Now now look at this. See if it doesn't sound like whiplash to you. It really feels like the subject radically changes really fast. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Well, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about prayer and persistence? Are we talking about faith? What's the topic here? It feels like it just shifts all of a sudden. And again why is God being compared here to a crooked judge and to a mean neighbor? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, obviously God is saying if if you know people like that would eventually do something, then how much more would God do it? But still, I had a problem with that because it seems like the only reason that the neighbor has to be persistent and keep knocking is because the neighbor is mean. And it seems like the only reason that the lady has to keep going to the judge is because the judge is crooked. Why then are we supposed to keep Seeking out God when we know that God loves us and God isn't crooked and God isn't mean. And then it hit me, as I was studying for this this week. The whole point of this parable is not to compare God to an unjust judge or to a mean neighbor. The whole point of the parable is to compare you to the person who didn't quit, to compare you to the person that was persistently still in there, still knocking on the door, still going to the judge and asking for help, who never quit. He wanted to compare that. And the reason that I know that is because he takes it and he turns it into a discussion about faith. And we're going to go back to that in just a second. But I just want to take a minute and talk about what is faith anyway. So Jesus is saying, "What this is a, this is a story about faith. It, 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 when the Son of Man comes to earth, how many is he going to find who has faith? This is a story about faith. Okay, well then let's figure out, what is it, what is it that he's talking about? What is faith? Well, the Bible gives us a definition, right? We can go to Hebrews 11. The Bible says that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is, so now we know this is the definition, it is the evidence of things we cannot see. So when is faith called for? Faith is called for when we hope for something, but it hasn't materialized yet. Faith is when when we are looking for something, but it hasn't happened. So it is patience, but it's got to be more than patience. And how do I know that? Because it says that it is the evidence of things we can't see. Not just the waiting for things we can't see, but the evidence. So here's what I would like to propose to you. I would like to propose to you that faith is an attitude that yes, part of it is patience, but the story of the person that kept knocking and the story of the lady who kept going to the judge teaches us that it is also persistence. So faith is an attitude that is simultaneously patience and it is persistence. As a culture, we tend to have a lot of one but not the other, right? So I'll talk to a lot of people who tell me that they wish for a lot of things. I wish our financial situation would get better. I wish my spouse would you know, start to be human again. I wish my, um, you know, my kids would do whatever it is that I asked them to do. I wish for this and I wish for that, right? And wishing is patient because we can wish for a long time and sit back and wait for something to happen, but it's not persistent. We're not getting in there and doing something about it. We're not pursuing it. On the other hand, I know some people who are very passionate about things and they will really be very persistent and they'll really get in there and and, and they'll work towards it. But if they hit a speed bump or a roadblock or a stop sign, they'll go, whoops, that was probably something that wasn't worth pursuing. I'm going to go and do this now. But faith is different. Faith is both patience and persistence at the same time. So if God was wanting to teach us about people that had faith and that the faith had them keep on pursuing something, what is it that he wants us to get about this? Man, I have to tell you, this was huge for me this week and I really hope it will be helpful for you. These stories taught me that our faith in someone's Uh, our faith that somebody's going to do something for us is contingent. It hinges on our understanding of their motivation. What would motivate them to do that for me? How much you believe somebody's going to do something for you, it hinges on what you think would motivate them to do that for you, right? So um, when, you know, when I was learning to drive and was thinking how great it was to have, you know, a car, have wheels finally, you know, it was, it was a chick magnet, it was a 1991 Mercury Grand Marquis. Uh, you know, if, if my parents said, Jonathan, your room is a disaster area, right, go, go clean your room, I hate that we're having to tell you this at 16, but go clean your room, right, their faith that I would do that is probably pretty low because I don't really have a lot of motivation to go do that. But if my dad were to say, go clean your room, and when your room is clean, I will give you the keys to your car back. Now he probably has a lot of faith that my room is going to get clean because he understands that I am highly motivated to do that, right? So here's what the the lesson of the crooked judge and the mean neighbor is teaching us. Why does the person keep knocking on the door of the mean neighbor? because he knows that his neighbor is motivated to get back to sleep. He knows that if he knocks long enough, he's going to make that person do something because he just wants to get back in bed and go to sleep. And the the lady who's dealing with the crooked judge, she knows this is a guy who doesn't care about people and doesn't care about God. So basically all he cares about is having a good time. He mostly cares about himself. So if I keep bothering him, he's eventually, she had faith in his motivation to shut her up. She had faith that he would eventually be like, this is a lot of hassle and I don't like hassle. So I'm just gonna get rid of her and I'm gonna do whatever it is she wants so I don't have to deal with this anymore. Do you see what what God is trying to teach us is that we have faith based off of our understanding of what motivates that person to do for us what we need them to do for us. And then God is saying, all right, think about your father, Father God. And what motivates him to meet your needs? See, I am a person for whom faith is difficult, and prayer is difficult, because I'm a very concrete person. And yet, it's almost as though God pushed me on that a little bit this week and said, is it that? Is it that? Is it that you're a concrete person, or is it that you've lost track of what would motivate me to meet your needs? So I started doing some study. I found Psalms 147, verse 11, where the Bible says the Lord's delight is in those who fear him. And in this case, this word fear might have better been translated honor him, those who honor him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. So God takes pleasure and those of us who keep knocking on the door, trying to seek him and saying, you know why I'm knocking on the door? I'm knocking on the door because God's love never stops. And when God knows that his kids are pursuing him because we believe that his love never fails, well, it puts a big smile on his face. So there's one thing. Maybe this, was the, this next one was maybe the biggest for me. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus says, don't be afraid, it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom." What is of more worth to God than the kingdom? And it gives great happiness for God to give us the kingdom. I'll tell you this story really quickly. When when I was um, a young adolescent, I, I don't know, I was probably maybe 11 or 12, um, our family was going through um, kind of a, a tight financial season and my parents are very, very frugal and they're, you know, they were very, very good with money. Just a bunch of things happened all at once. You know how it is and things got a little tight and it just happened to be right around the Christmas season and my dad called me and my brother Jared in and he said, here's the thing I want you to know um, that we, we're gonna get you Christmas presents and, and we want them to be special, a nice Christmas presents, but um, you know, we know what you and, he's, he's like, I know what you and Jared you know, would really like for Christmas and it was our plans to be able to do that, but we're just not gonna be able to, to do that this year. We're gonna still do something special and next year things will be better because we'll kind of get through this, this season. And Jared and I said, oh, it's no problem. We understand it. We had a great family dynamic that way. You know, we're very transparent and, and we were able to have a great conversation about it. We walked on, it was no big deal. But about a week before Christmas, my dad preached at a funeral. And the funeral home gave him an envelope, and in the envelope, there was a $150 honorarium. I was along with him on that funeral. I would tag along on funerals and weddings and so forth, and I saw the envelope. I saw the $150. And I was excited for my dad because my dad would often take... Those, those funds and he would use them for something he needed for ministry especially back then um, it, was, it was normal for the pastor to wear suits every day of the week and you know suits at church on the weekend and so forth and, and so I knew for a fact that he needed a new suit and I thought this is really great because um, at least it'll be enough that hopefully he can get the new suit that he's been sort of needing to get for a while. And then Christmas morning came, and, and my brother and I were opening up our presents, and I recognized that what those presents were is what we had asked for originally, and it dawned on me that that money had not gone to buy my dad a new suit, but he had invested it in these gifts, and I kind of felt guilty. And I went and I told my mom, I said, I'm so, I, I feel bad about this because I really felt like dad should have used this to, you know, to buy a suit or something. And my mom said, don't you get it? It made your dad so happy to do that. he He was grinning from ear to ear when he realized that this meant that he could do that. See, I'm talking to somebody in this room, and sometimes you get down on yourself, and sometimes when you get down on yourself, it shifts your image of God, and you forget that it makes God happy to bless you. That God doesn't bless you out of a sense of obligation, and God doesn't bless you because you're perfect, and God doesn't bless you because you happen to do everything just the right way. God blesses you because it makes him happy. To bless you. Boy, that starts to change our motivation and our understanding of God's motivation, and it helps us to build faith. But even more, God wants us to know that that he just wants to be a good parent. I mean, beyond all the other stuff that we've talked about, because uh, in Matthew, he says this. He says, hey, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? He's like, you know, if your kid asks for a sandwich, do you give them a big rock and say, hey, go gnaw on that for a while, you know? Um, Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? He's saying, look, you understand as parents a motivation that springs up from your heart that just wants to do good things for your kids. And he's like, think about what springs up from the heart of God who wants to do amazing things for his kids. why should we reach out to God on a regular basis? Why should we have faith? We should have faith and we should reach out to God because God is motivated to do what is right for us. Next week, we're gonna talk about the fact that there will be moments where there's a delay before we really feel a strong answer to our prayer. Or maybe the, the way that God answers our prayer, it might not exactly be what we initially prayed for or in that exact channel. And yet, we know those of us who know God and love God, we know that God wants what is best for you. So we can put faith in the fact that even in the process of waiting, we know that God is in the process of giving us a blessing because it makes him happy to do that and because he wants to do it because he's a good parent. We sing that song around here, you're a good, good father. He's a good father because he wants to be a good father. He's motivated to be a good father. It's funny, I was, when I was first preparing for this talk, I had a copy of the King James Version in front of me. It just happened to be what was, what was laying around. And I turned to that passage in 1 Thessalonians, and I was reading what Paul said. And, and those of you who memorize this in, in the old King James, you know that the verse says, pray without what? Ceasing, pray without ceasing. And I have to be honest with you. I told you I'm fiercely practical. I'm very pragmatic. I have these very practical conversations with God when I'm reading the Bible. And I was, I was saying to God, God, I just think this is hyperbole. You know, I really think this is exaggeration. I don't see how a person can pray without ceasing. And it was as though God sort of grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, well, what if I said smartphone without ceasing? Could you do that? I'm thinking, all the time I do this, when I'm not doing something, grab a smartphone. What's going on, right? Check the messages, check the email, find out what earth shattering news is on Facebook that I absolutely have to know. Um, Now I've even gotten to the point where I'm so brainwashed with this, I I can be in the middle of a boring conversation, it's kind of lagging, I'm starting to feel like I'm having to wait during the middle of a conversation for somebody to get to the point, and I've already gone, it's like, you know, I'm like one of those gunslingers in the movies, you know, there's my smartphone, and I'm looking to see what's going on there, you know, who's the fastest draw in the West, me, I got it, you know, I got the holster and everything. And it's almost as though God was saying, you don't have a problem smartphoning without ceasing. What if you just flipped it and you prayed without ceasing? Instead of reaching for the phone, what if you reached for me instead? Instead of trying to figure out what's up on the Facebook feed, what if you were trying to figure out what's up between me and God right now? And that really got a hold of my attention because I thought so much of my time that I'm waiting is used up doing things that are worthless and they're not gonna pay off in the end. And yet God says, I want you to reach out to me all the time because it is in my heart to bless you. And I, wanna, I want my life to intersect with your life. I want us to connect. My, um, my dad's dad passed away a few years ago, um, my grandpa Hoover. But some of you in this room knew him before he passed. And if you did, you knew that he was a different sort of prayer. He, he was different in that In the middle of any conversation, uh, no matter what necessarily the conversation was about, and no matter who was around, and and really no matter what sort of forum it was, uh, whatever you were discussing with him, in the middle of it, he would say, well, let's pray about that. And it wasn't like, would you like to pray about that? (laughs) It wasn't like, I'll be praying for you. It wasn't like, you know, do you think this would be an appropriate time for us to stop and have a moment of prayer? It was, we're doing this right? So he would just say, well, let's pray about that. And boom, he's into it. And uh, I remember that all my life, it was always that way. He would call me at college, right? And I get a phone call from, from, from grandpa. And he'd say, how's everything going? It's going fine, grandpa. So what you got going on today? Well, I've got a couple classes later today. What you doing in the classes? Well, you know, I've got just normal stuff and I have a quiz in this class. Well, let's pray about that. And you start praying about the quiz. But I'll never forget. This is, this is no joke. This really happened. 2010, uh, my family and I moved to Wichita for me to to start at at New Spring. And I learned very quickly that the allergies in Kansas are different than the allergies in Oklahoma, right? So I had just lived through the allergy season in Oklahoma, and I thought I was done with it, only to find out that they travel north. So as I was driving north to Kansas, the allergies were coming with me. (laughs) And I was, you know, I had all this junk going on up here, and my eyes were all, you know, itchy and stuff. And And uh, so I just remembered I had stopped by to say hi to my grandma and grandpa and was just touching base with them. And uh, and grandpa said, so what do you got going on the rest of your day? And just making small talk, I just said, well, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do right now. I'm driving to Walgreens and I'm getting some eye drops because my eyes are driving me crazy because of the allergies here. And do you know what my grandpa said? Let's pray about that. (laughs) And my grandpa and I stood on the porch of his house and we prayed about eye drops. We prayed that the eye drops would work You know, now that's maybe one of the most precious memories that I have. You know why? Because my grandpa was teaching me that God wants to talk about everything and he wants to talk about it all the time. He wants to connect about it. You'd be surprised what God wants to hear about from you. You know, Wendy and I walk around and we talk in the mall stuff that I tell Wendy, if I told you, you'd go, who cares? (laughs) Right? Who has time to listen to this stuff? You know who has time to listen to this stuff? Wendy does. Do you know why? Because Wendy loves me. Who has time to listen to your stuff? God does. Because he loves you. And he wants to hear from you. So it's okay to have some ritual prayer. It's okay to have a few moments of rescue prayer. But the main thing is reaching prayer. How can we connect with God and intersect together so that we can connect? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this time that we've been able to talk about what it's like to talk with you. Help us to remember that you want to hear from us all the time and about everything. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. If you're in this room and you'd say, you know what, Jonathan, what you were talking about sounds really attractive. The idea of having somebody who loves me, who wants to hear from me all the time. And and yet I don't have that in my life. I I don't have a relationship with God. This whole thing's kind of new to me. And yet I want what it is that you're talking about. It would would be important for me to have that in my life, and I wanna connect with God. Here's what I wanna tell you. God has been reaching out to you since day one. He's only waiting for you to reach back. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna say the words to a very simple prayer, and all this prayer does is reach out to God and say, yes, I wanna be your child. And if this really reflects what you wanna say to God, you can say this silently in your heart to God, and it'll be settled once and for all. Ready, here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know that I do wrong things and I know I can't get to heaven on my own. Today, I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I'm reaching out to you and I'm asking you to make me God's child. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look up here for just a second? There's gonna be some folks in this room who just prayed that prayer with me, and we wanna make sure that you hear this because we wanna help you. If you just pray that prayer, would you take the Talk to Us card in the seat in front of you, check the box that says, I prayed received Christ, and take that to guest services, would you? They've got a bag that they wanna give you. It has a Bible in it and a book that my dad wrote about what it means to believe in God. Several things we wanna give you just to get your journey started with God, okay? Thank you so much for being here. Next week, there's a talk entitled Something.